we get to say amen to a new covenant. It is a covenant of grace, not of law. It is not the covenant of Moses, but the covenant of Jesus. And so today we say yes and amen. We say, let it be true to me and to my children. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Would you grab your Bible, turn to the book of John. John chapter one, John chapter one. We're gonna read uh, quite a few different verses. I love these verses, especially around Christmas time, um, which to me, Thanksgiving is just mini Christmas. So John chapter, how many people have your Christmas trees up already? How many people? You are my people, the sheep of my pasture. I, I'm gonna have mine up until January at least, maybe February, you know? Amen, hallelujah. John chapter one, are you there? John chapter one. We're going to read this together. The Bible says this. In the beginning was the word. This is so powerful. Today we're going to start at the beginning. And I want you to really take note of this because we're going to end at a certain place where this really matters. So John tells us who was there, who was present. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. John is telling us that the word of God, the logos of God was present in the very beginning. And we see that when the Bible says, and God said, let there be. He's saying that let there be is the creating agent of God. It's the word. And he was there with God. And God made all things through the word. But let's go to verse 14, because this is why this matters. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So that the word that created all things didn't stay in heaven, but the word put on human flesh and it became a person and interacted with his creation. And we know the word by the name of Jesus. And, and John says, I've seen him. I have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father. And this is who Jesus was. He was full of grace and full of truth. And John goes on and he says, John the Baptist, he bore witness about him. And he cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. What John is saying is even though the person came after me, the word was there in the beginning. Verse 16, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law from Moses, grace and truth from Jesus Christ. Today I want to talk to you about the law, and I want to talk to you about grace and truth. Let's look at the law. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 26. Moses is speaking, and he's giving the law in this portion of Scripture, and he says this. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing 
if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. Verse 27 says, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. In verse 29, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land, the promised land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. So Moses is saying, as he's establishing the law, there's two ways to go. There's two choices you'll have. I set before you today a blessing and a curse. And today I'm here to tell you that the word arrives to cancel the curse that even you may have called down upon yourself. The word arrives to fulfill the law, to cancel the curse, to give grace, and to reveal truth. And so my hope for us today is that we get a new perspective on the power of the word. It's so powerful, God says, I have to come myself and I have to set things right. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. Jesus, that you considered us worthy of your life coming and dwelling among us. And I thank you that your presence is here today with us, God. I pray today we see you in a new light. And I pray we even get a new perspective on the power of the word of God in our life. Will you come and will you speak to us in Jesus' mighty name? Come on, all God's people said, amen. Amen. So we have a very interesting situation here. Moses is coming to the end of his life. Joshua is the new leader, and he's taking over. And Moses instructs Joshua on what they're to do as soon as they get into the promised land. He said, I want you to gather all of the people, absolutely everyone, that says they are a part of the people of Israel. Even if, he says, even if they're sojourners, even if they're just with you, gather everybody, the women, the children, everyone, and gather them together in this place, certain place in the middle of Israel, and I want for you to build an altar and to present the law of God. And I want you to separate the people. On one side, put them under one mountain called Gerizim. On the other side, put them on another mountain called Ebal. One represents the blessing, one represents the curse, and I want for you to present the covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the law of God, and let them know they've got a choice. If you follow the law, you'll be in the mountain of blessing. But if you cannot follow the law, you will call down and agree with the curses that will come upon your life. And so Joshua brings them to these two mountains, Gerizim for blessing and Ebal for curses. And the Bible says that Joshua built an altar on Mount Ebal. And I was wondering why build the altar on Mount Ebal? If I'm going to build an altar, I don't want to, I, I, I want to build it on the blessing mountain. I want blessings. But he builds the altar on the mountain of curses. And I thought, well, why build an altar there? Because the truth is, wherever there is sin, there needs to be an altar. Wherever there is sin, there is corruption, there is a curse. Therefore, there needs to be an altar. Why? Because blood cancels the curse. Only the blood cancels the curse. God knew this. 
And Joshua knew this. And so Joshua built this altar on Mount Ebal. And you know what's interesting? Recently, they have discovered this altar on that very place. They know where this mountain is, Mount Ebal. And, and they were searching all over and they found this giant mound and said, this is different than the other geography here. And they dug it up and sure enough, there was this massive stone altar built to the specifications that God would have. You know, God doesn't want any cut stones, uncut stones in a ramp and all of the things that should be there. They found a 3,300 year old altar in the very place the Bible says it was built by the very person the Bible said would be built it. But what's more amazing even than that is when they began to sift through all of the different things that they found. They found a bunch of animal bones, but of course, all of them purified of the, of the pure animals, the only kind that God would accept as sacrifice. But they found a tiny little lead amulet and they had to scan it because it was so old they couldn't open it. They scanned it and they found within this amulet writing. It's the earliest mention of Yahweh ever found. And you know what it said? It said, Yahweh, curse, curse, curse. You will die. You will be cursed by Yahweh. Curse, curse, curse. Ooh. They found this curse tablet, which really would have been in the ancient times a vow, a contract, a covenant. They found it in the exact area where God said there would be an altar and, and the exact type of altar it would be. It was a cursed altar on a cursed mountain. And so just so you know, every single time archaeologists dig up what the Bible says is there, it turns out that it is there. That the Bible is a historical document that is worthy of your trust and continually gets proven right, 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 right. Unbelievable that they unroll this in the first mention of, of Yahweh that they've ever found is connected to this curse. Because see, this is what Joshua did. He separated Israel on half of them. He put them on the Mount Gerizim, the blessing, the other half on the mountain of curses. And, and it was just a 50-50 shot. And I don't know if you feel like you were born on the mountain of blessing, or I don't know if you feel like you were born on the mountain of curses, but I've got good news. No matter where you were delineated from birth, God can come and he can change your position in a moment. He separates them too, and he puts the Ark of the Covenant in the middle. The, 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 the sacrificial altar on the side of the curse, the Ark of the Covenant in the middle, and he gathers the priests and the Levites, and he gathers the, the book of Moses' law, and he gathers every single person in Israel so that no one could say, I didn't hear, I didn't know. Everyone is there. And Joshua reads every single word of the law of Moses, including the curses that God pronounces if you are to disobey the word. And what he's doing is he's presenting a choice before the people. Will you serve God or will you serve yourselves? And as he reads the law, the word warns of the actions that cause curses. And it also lets you know of the things that bring blessings. And I think that's very powerful that the word of God isn't just inspirational things for Pinterest quotes. It lets you know the reality of what can happen if you disobey. What can happen if you live under the curse of sin? 
that eventually that curse gets on everything in your life. I'm thankful that God loves us enough to tell the truth, even if it hurts, even if it's difficult. And, and, so, and so this is what Joshua is doing, is he's pronouncing both the blessings and the curses that are found in the law of Moses. And I feel like every Sunday we do a degree of that, where we read through the Bible and through the word the things that are warnings and also the things that are corrections, the things that are encouragements and the things that let us know where we need to stare away from. But what's interesting is the Bible's very clear and tells you here are the things that brings curses. And, and Joshua pronounces them and he says, here's, here's the list. If you engage in idolatry, you become cursed. If you dishonor your parents, you become cursed. You think, oh, that's not that big of a deal. Have you met my parents? But the Bible's saying, I'm just telling you, it's right up at the top. If you operate in dishonor with your parents, you get cursed. And I think the curse is a short life and your kids dishonor you. If you, dis if you, if you steal, you become cursed. If you have injustice towards the widow or the orphan, you call down curses. If you engage in immorality, there comes a curse. If you murder, there's a curse. If you use your power and wield your influence for corruptive purposes, the Bible says there will be a curse. Why? Because sin calls down curses. This is the abject reality of what sin does. It curses you. Your mind, your body, your spirit, your family, your legacy, your lineage, it brings a curse. I was listening to an interview recently with Michael Francis. He's a, a crime boss that walked away from the, the mafia life. One of the few that survived. He spoke here at the church quite a few years ago. And uh, he had a very interesting phrase. He said, every single person that I know that was involved in that mob life, every one of them had their lives and their families completely and utterly devastated. He said, there is not one that did not have their life completely and utterly devastated. It's the end of every mob movie is devastation. Why? Because sin, it curses. And it curses everything around you. And, and what's interesting about this moment is in the midst of all of this, God has the people respond to the things that bring curses and blessings. And the Bible says, and all of the people shall say, amen. At the end of the list of curses, in fact, for each individual one, God says, now say amen. Do you know what amen means? Amen means truth. You know, when Jesus says, verily, verily, truly, truly, he's saying, amen, amen. I'd say unto you, this is true. Amen is a, is a picture of a vow. It's a picture of a covenant. We agree. Amen means let it be so unto me and mine. So when you say amen, you're saying true. Let it be so to me and let it be so to mine. And the people said amen to all of the curses that God would allow or that would come upon them if they disobeyed the word of God. Have you ever made an agreement with something that you could not hold up your end of the bargain? Have, have you ever said, I agree to something? Or have you ever agreed with something that you cannot live up to? Because see, this is what the people of Israel were doing. They were saying amen to a contract that they could not keep. 
They were saying amen to a lifestyle they could not live. The reality is the propensity of sin that mankind has means that we will always fall short of the law. The Bible says all have sinned, all have fallen short of the law. The law, this is the problem, the law is a covenant that we cannot keep. And, and so God reads the law, the law is good, but the problem is it's so good and we're so bad. And, and there's just a gap there. And so even though the people agree with their mind, even though they say, yeah, that's right, we shouldn't be doing those things that shouldn't be in our life. Even though we agree, after a time, there's a drift. After, after there, when there's issues, when there's sin, when there's failure, even though they would agree with their mind, they could not agree with their actions and their lifestyle, and they fell short. And therefore, they came under the corruption, and they agreed with the curse. You have to be very careful about what you agree with. Please hear me. You have to be very careful about what you amen with your life. I think sometimes we're very foolish with our amens. I think sometimes we say amen to curses. We say amen to lies. We say amen to the past. We say amen to negative things over our lives. Maybe you say amen to things your parents have said over you. You look in the mirror and you say amen to certain, you have to be very careful what you say amen to. Now these people were saying amen to the word of God, but the problem was they couldn't live up to its standard. It couldn't live up. And so now what? They have to live under a curse? Bible says in Romans 3.20, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. No one. You can't, you can't, you can't live it out. The law simply shows us how messed up we are. That's Jordan's translation. Sorry, are you seeing this? The law is good, it's presented to all of the people. They agree, but the problem is they just can't live up. And maybe you feel like you're in this place. You agree with the word of God, you know God is good, but you feel like I, I just can't measure up. Maybe you feel like I'm living under a curse. Here I am, but I'm living under a curse. And maybe you feel like that curse came from your parents. Maybe you feel like it came from your forefathers. Maybe you feel like you can't tell where it's from. It's spiritual. Maybe you feel like there's a dark cloud that's just hovering over your life. Or you think it's something you did in your past that you cannot get free from. And you feel like everything you do is corrupted or crumbles before you. Maybe you're here and you feel like I don't measure up. I can't live up. I'm simply sinful and I just am under a curse. Well, I've got good news for you. You are not alone. The Bible says there is not one person that can live up to the law of the Lord. But the problem is, what do you do when you agree with something you can't live up to? We know God is good. We know his ways are right. The problem is we can't live up to it. Have you ever said something you couldn't live up to? Have you ever, have you ever made a financial agreement that you, in the end, couldn't live up to? You wanted the car. You fudged the numbers. You convinced yourself, and then the towing truck is outside of your... You can't live up. Have you ever boasted about how good you are at sports? Then the game comes, and everyone's saying, we picked you first? Sub them out. Have you ever made a deal with God that you couldn't live up to? God, if you get me out of this, if you get me out of this, I will never, I will never. I won't go there. I won't do that. I won't say that. I'll never be there again. I'll never show. I'll, I'll, I'll be at church every Sunday, every Sunday. God, if you get me out of this, you ever made a pro promise? I will never do that again. But then five years, five months, five minutes later, 
find yourself back there again. And you say, what is wrong with me? Why can't I get it together? What are my issues? I want you to know, please hear me, you are no different than anyone else. The reality is the law is good, but it's so good you could never measure up. So even if you agree, you can't measure up. And so when you say amen, these people, they said amen to the law. The problem was they couldn't measure up. And when they disobeyed, they opened the door to curses on their life. Because God says anything that's not of me, that's a curse. Anything that's not of my word, that's a curse. And so for hundreds, thousands of years, these people lived under a curse. No help. Priests couldn't help them. Prophets couldn't help them. Sermons couldn't help them. Temple couldn't help them. Uh, uh, cleanliness couldn't help them. Even, even, even the sacrifices on Mount Ebal, they were just temporary. They had no help. And maybe you feel that way, where you feel like, I've tried it all, but I've got no help. And you know what's so interesting about this story? The Bible says that the people of Israel only said amen to the curses. It never shows them say amen to the blessings. So it's almost like a thousand years of unfulfilled blessings. There's no way to be blessed. There's no way we could even have a better contract. We need a better word. We need something else to say amen to, and yet it's not there. We can only say amen to our less than, our sin, our failure. That, that's the only option we have, is to know we're sinners, know we're stuck, know we're in trouble, and know because of that we're cursed. We never got the fulfillment of the blessing. We had to live on Mount Ebal. But here's the good news, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who will bring the blessings? Who will bring a better word? Who will deliver a new covenant? It had to be the word itself. Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the old law. I came to fulfill the old law and to give grace to the people that could not fulfill it. Here comes, here comes the word made flesh. The word that people couldn't live up to now comes down to them. And Jesus says to his disciples, I must go to Samaria. And you think, well, that's interesting. How come God has to do something? I must go. There's a mission. There's a mandate. But God says, I have, I have something I have to fulfill. I've got something I have to change. I must go to Samaria. But the disciples said, you can't go to Samaria. The Jews aren't allowed to go to Samaria. That place is cursed. You got to go around it. The people there, cursed. They're hopeless. They're broken. They've said amen to the wrong thing. They've lived under the wrong thing. But Jesus says, there's someone I've got to meet there. And you know the story where he meets a woman at the well. She comes out alone in the middle of the day, alone because she's ostracized from her community. She doesn't get to come with all the other women in the early morning. They rejected her. But those whom the world rejects God accepts. In fact, he comes for. And he sends the disciples off. So it's just him and her and he's at Jacob's well. But do you know where Jacob's well is located? It's amazing. It's located in a valley between two mountains. One mountain, Ebal. Another mountain, Gerizim. Jesus comes back to the place where Israel made 
the wrong choice. Where the word, the law that could not be lived up to was presented. Here comes the word again. To represent a better word, a better law, a better covenant. Jesus, Jesus, Yeshua. Do you know the name Yeshua in Hebrew? It's Joshua. Here comes the new Joshua to read a better word. Here comes Jesus, the new Levite, the new priest. He's the new Ark of the Covenant. Thank you, Jesus. He's the sacrifice on Mount Ebal, and he's the temple on the Mount of Blessings. He is it all. And he comes to this woman in the middle of this location, and he presents to her a new choice. And he says, do you want to be blessed? He says, do you want living water? You're here, but you're thirsty. It's, you, you want something eternal. Do you want to be blessed? And the woman says, certainly I do, but I don't know how to, I don't know how to receive this. And Jesus said, go get your husband and I'll show you how to have eternal water. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, that's right, you don't. You've had five. And the man that you're with now isn't even your husband. You, could you just imagine, back, even right now, everyone would say, five, goodness. <laughs> but back then, this woman's life was catastrophically broken. He finds a woman, listen, living, living under the curse. Her life has been cursed and broken and ostracized by immorality. It's affected all of her relationships. It's affected even just her daily rituals. It's affected everything. And Jesus reveals, I know that you're cursed. And what's so interesting is her response to Jesus, she says this, she says, I can tell that you're a man of God. And then she says, can you tell me? Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Speaking about Gerizim, the mountain of blessing. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Am I in the right place? Isn't it interesting that you could be in the right place and still living under an old curse? She's at the mountain of blessing, but her life is not blessed. She's living under a curse. And she wants to say, well, I'm here though. Aren't I in the right place? And I don't know if you've ever felt like that. I don't know if you feel like that today. I'm in the church, but I still feel cursed. I've been coming, I got baptized, I'm praying, I'm trying, but I still feel like I'm under something. Call it darkness, call it oppression, call it guilt, call it shame, call it condemnation, call it inability, call it whatever you want. It seems to be a curse. And she asked Jesus, aren't I in the right place? Because I'm in the place of blessing, but I seem to be under a curse. But Jesus says, I'm here to do away with the whole thing. And I'm here to present something brand new. Rivers in the desert a new way to live. Jesus replies and he says to her, and I believe he says it to us. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming where neither on this mountain nor in the mountain of Jerusalem will you worship the Father. He, he says, I'm about to do away with all the mountains. I'm about to do away with all the old things. I'm about to do away with all the old amens. And then he says this, Jesus said to her, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Well, what is truth? It's the word. Jesus says, I'm, I'm here. 
and I've brought my spirit and I've brought my truth. And now the father is speaking those kind of people to worship him. It's no longer about Mount Ebal or Mount Gerizim. It's no longer about where you were placed. It's no longer about your lineage. It doesn't matter what your father said. And it doesn't even matter if you have agreed with things that have brought curses on your life. I'm here to reestablish something. I'm going to give you a brand new birth by the spirit. I'm going to bring truth into your life. I'm going to begin to change things completely. This is a new choice. This is a new covenant. At the first service, we heard someone that was baptized. He said, for 23 years, I was in bondage, but then I met Jesus and now I am free. Well, you say, what happened? The word showed up and canceled the old curse. Cancels even the effect of disobedience. Cancels even the doors that you willingly opened rescues us from our inability. The word arrives to this woman to present to her a new choice and a new covenant. And he says, do you want me? Do you want me? Because you'll never be able to measure up, but I've got enough grace for your lack. I've got enough forgiveness for your failure. It's as if Jesus is saying to the woman, and it's as if Jesus is saying to us, are you ready to say amen again? Are you ready to agree with something else, something new? Are you ready for a new covenant and a new vow? The reality is Jesus took the curse and he became the blessing. Both Ebal and Gerizim is found on one mountain, Calvary where Jesus became the perfect spotless lamb, the sacrifice for our life, the cross became the altar, and we received resurrection, life, and anyone can come to Calvary and have the cross cancel our curse and receive the blessing that is Jesus Christ. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Truth to expose the lie. Truth to warn of the way you should not walk. Truth to let you know how truly to live, but grace for when you fall short. Grace for when you make a mistake. Grace for when you don't measure up. It's both found in Jesus. And Jesus gives us the word. I want you to know today that the word of God is your divine weapon of warfare. It is powerful. It is strong. It is mighty. That woman could never, ever be free unless the word walked up to her. And you and I could never, ever be free unless the word comes to us. Jesus came to give us the word. He made the galaxies with the word. You think he can't remake your life with the word? He can challenge and change anything and everything with the word. The Bible tells us for the word of God, it is living and it is active. This is not just ancient, old, dusty, and, and, and done. No, it's living and it is active and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And I want you to know it will cut even down to the deepest parts of your life. It will let you know what's flesh or spirit, what's emotion and what's foolishness. It will cut down deep and it will lay you open and it will say, this is the way, walk ye in it. The word is living and active. That's why every Sunday you say, I just felt like you were preaching right to me. It wasn't me, it was the word. 
it's living and it's active and it knows who's here today and it's coming for you. And the Holy Spirit's sitting right next to you and saying, that one's for you right now. That's why when you read the word, you can't go three days without hitting a verse and saying, I'm dealing with that right now. All that hurts so good because it's alive. It knows who's opening it. It knows you. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, it reveals truth and grace to bring you out from the curse and into the blessing who is Jesus. You've got to be able to wield the word. When Satan came to tempt Jesus, do you remember what Jesus said over and over? It is written. It is written. It is written. In other words, Jesus himself understood how powerful the word is that he said, I don't even need to fight you. The sword already has won. It reminds me of that, that, that moment in the Narnia books, you know, where Aslan is sacrificing his life and the, the witch is misusing the deep magic to him. And he says, don't cite the deep magic to me, witch. I was there when it was written. God says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And no matter what kind of temptation, no matter what kind of accusation, no matter what old thing you bring up, this is deeper, it's wider, it's more powerful, it's holy. And the word has the final word on my life. It is written. But see, that's why the enemy will do anything to get you to not know this word to get you to be distracted. Oh, I, I can't read well. I don't retain information well. And it's like, yeah, but you've read the Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion and all the Harry Potter books. And well, the enemy will get, oh, but you, you know, you're, you're seven and a half hours a day on social media. Oh, I just can't read. No, you can read. No, no, you got to understand that's not just a mental block. That's a physical opposition, a spiritual opposition. And you got to overcome that thing. And I'm not saying it's easy, but I am saying it's worth it that you sharpen your sword so that when the enemy comes to accuse, you've got something to cut back with. Because certainly the enemy will try and curse your mind. Certainly the enemy will try and curse your body. And certainly the enemy will try and curse your children. But those curses dissipate, fail, falter when confronted and combated with the word of God. If you need help in your mind, I want you to know there's verses about the mind. If you need help for self-discipline in your habits and your rituals, there are verses on that. If your soul is sucked into depression and torment, you need to read the Psalms that will teach you how to speak even to your own soul. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. I will rejoice in you. You need to know the Psalms because you need a weapon when that darkness comes. You need to know the old characters in the Bible because you are Noah and you are Abraham and you are Deborah and you are Samson and you need to find those parts of them in you and say, oh, this is what I should do and this is what I shouldn't do because I've seen it in their life. You got to find the principles in the Proverbs that has wisdom beyond. Some of you are carrying around fortune cookie <laughs> wisdom in your wallet that you got in 1998. And they're weak when compared to the mighty Proverbs, the greatest wisdom that's ever been disseminated from the wisest man that's ever lived. 
You say, I want to know Jesus more. Well, there's four gospels of people that walked with them and talked with them and lived with them and saw the miracles. And they'll let you know just who Jesus was. His grace, his humanity, his manhood, his holiness. It's all in the gospels. And if you want to know Jesus, this is the way. And if you want to know about church and life and community and how to live well with your family. There are letters after letters written by the greatest philosopher, greater than Plato, greater than Socrates, the Apostle Paul. Brilliant wisdom. And he wrote these letters in chains because he said, my sons and my daughters, they need these words. So even in chains, I'm going to write the book of Romans. Even in chains, I'm going to write to young Timothy. Even in chains, I'm going to speak to Jude. And James will teach you how to pray. And if you're nervous about what's going on, and you look around and you say, what's happening in this earth? It feels like, well, it feels like we're at the end. Well, there's a book about the end as well. And it's the book of Revelation. And you might not fully understand it, there's a lot of odd stuff in there. But just read the last part. That's the part that matters when the man who is Jesus comes back on a war horse, mighty and strong, with his robe dripped in blood and a name written on him that no one knows but himself, fire in his eyes and hair like wool. And he comes and he separates the unrighteous from the righteous. And he comes in triumph and he comes with the mighty angel armies and he takes that ancient serpent, the one that got Adam and Eve and he chains them up for the last time and he throws them in the eternal lake of fire, him and the false prophet and the antichrist. And he sets upon the new Jerusalem with a new altar and a new throne and he reigns forever and ever and ever. And we get to join him. That's the word. And it's powerful and it's filled with blessings. It's mightier than anything else. Please hear me. The word is mightier than any other word spoken over you or by you or even accepted by you. Come now under a new covenant. I want to read one last verse with you. It's in the book of Revelation. It's the very last verse in the entirety of the Bible. God says, this is the most important, so I'm going to put it last. Revelation chapter 22, verse 21 says this, so the grace of the Lord Jesus, not the law. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. 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 We say amen to a new covenant. We say amen to a better word. We say amen to the blood of Jesus. Those old Israelites had to say amen to the curse, but the new sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, we get to say amen to a new covenant. It is a covenant of grace, not of law. It is not the covenant of Moses, but the covenant of Jesus. And so today we say yes and amen. We say, let it be true to me and to my children and my children's children and their children. Let it be lineage and legacy, grace upon grace, glory upon glory. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.